So, Gothnog. Yes, I'm here. Uh, Chepe and I had a little bit of time before we started recording to chit-chat and uh, got a couple questions for you about your fathering style. Very well, please. I have a running bet that you have, that you, I would say, passively force your children to call you something like Hierarch. <laughs> this is a serious matter. It, it is. No, uh, it, <laughs> not as such. I mean, no. My, you know, my. Just saying, like. The, my my daughter calls me Captain occasionally, but not. <laughs> okay. Oh, I believe you. It's Sunday, October fourth, two thousand fifteen, and you're listening to episode twenty-four of Roll Up and Die. The mill's closed. There's no more work. We're destitute. Come in, my little loves. I've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments. guest today uh, right here on Roll Up and Die as Matt Click is still on his honeymoon. Today he is uh, traversing the Matterhorn, uh, specifically the one located in California. <clears throat> the well-known uh, Californian he, Matterhorn. Yeah, the Californian yeah. Matterhorn. <clears throat> and of course you would dodge me yet again, oh. Matt. <laughs> it's the York game, wasn't it? It was the York game. Vivis <laughs> just creeped you out. You just... You just can't be around me anymore. <laughs> See how it is. Planned well He's in advance. judgy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got Chepe Le Pepe here on Roll Up and Die. So, uh, Chepe, without further ado, go ahead and uh, talk about yourself. Talk about uh, your tastes. Talk about what you do in the community. And uh, yeah, man, go ahead. Hello, I'm Chepe Le Pepe. My channel is Fawn Trodden. F-A-U-N-T-R-O-D-D-E-N. Uh, there's a rather long story as to why it's that name, but let's just say it's a long story. Uh, I am kind of known as the Niche King, both Wrathful and Returning. I have a few different nicknames, a few infamous one-shots that have ended very horribly for several party members. Um, and I've often been denoted as that weird guy that likes to promote a lot of interesting games, uh, most notably surrealist games, uh, like Itrus Bay or Over the Edge, or other things like Rain and Critian, the One Roll Engine, and stuff like that. Um, so I run a lot of games on the One Shot Group. I also have done a lot of stuff in the Brigade. I was also the one that accidentally started that large video chain back in the New Year's, mm. um, which was also a complete accident. <laughs> um, so that was me. And yeah, so I do a lot of vlogging, a lot of in just topics that I don't see people covering, uh, do a world building series, and uh, a bunch of random games, including Game of Thrones style D&D mixed with Filipino mythology. See, and, and that is perfect, <laughs> because today's subject is actually niche genres. And we've been wanting to talk about this for about, I think, three or four weeks, Alex. Yeah. And like, because most of the games you see anywhere, not just online, but definitely online are 
Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, just fantasy or sci-fi or, you know, the most outside of the box, I think, is when you combine a couple genres into one, like steam, make steampunk or something like that. And, uh, but Chepe is, like you said, is totally known for like, do you guys want to play a game where we all play as like maids and we're trying to, I can't remember if it's like seduce or kill the Lord of the house. <laughs> it's like, um, all of those goals are included. <laughs> the goal is to gain quote unquote favor to win a quote unquote special scene with master by the end of the game. Um, which means players have to work together to keep Master alive while at the same time competing with each other to end their goal. That goal could be become promoted, bang him, or kill him. All of the above is welcome. Sex, death, or marriage it's with maids. Sex, death, or marriage. So, you know, death or cake. Some people are fresh out of cake. You know, it just happens. <laughs> the Oh, my gosh. And so... Um, this has been a huge hit, I think, in the community is mm. people... People, a lot of people have had their fill in fantasy, and and Chepe really took it to the next level. So, I think you know that's that's the <laughs> you did. That's one way to put it. You did. <laughs> I wouldn't give it such a like a glorious phrase as and take it to the next level. I would, dude, consider it more like stoop to the lower pits of genres and then just shuffle something out, and well, that ended up. Being the thing. Either way, you're the niche king, man. You're the lord of some space. Well, what I like about uh, a lot of the indie games and niche games is that you you know you don't have to dedicate yourself to it entirely. As far as you know, you can still play your D and D. You can still play all these other games, and occasionally you can play these other games too. You don't have to stick to just one. And I think a lot of people get so caught up in this uh, idea of, oh, well, I'm a D and D player. I, I can't, I couldn't possibly play that, you know, yeah. <laughs> why not? You know, what, what's preventing you from doing that? What, I mean, even, even in the old days and, and I'm, you know, old school gamer and, um, you know, we all, pretty much all we, all we had was D and D for the most part, but there were a few other ones out there, which at the time were niche, which was like, uh, boot hill or, Gamma World, or you know, so occasionally we'd get you know we'd, we'd had our fill of D and D and fantasy settings. It's like uh, let's go Old West, or let's play Top Secret and go Spy, or we'll play you know Gamma World and go Post Apocalyptic. So it was you know kind of uh, even if you're not um, as hardcore into niche games as some, it's still it's still great to you know kind of break out of your own pattern and and explore new areas from time to time. Yeah, for sure. And for, for some groups, playing a horror game is doing that, right? Yeah. Some groups have been so wrapped up in fantasy that they're like, yeah, you know what? Let's try horror. Let's try modern and things <clears> like that. <throat> and my question for you, Chepe, is let's say someone wants to get their group to try something else. It, it, okay. it, it's almost like you know when you're teaching someone to play a board game. Let's say you're teaching someone to play some sort of game. And you're like, all right, you're, you're, I'm going to teach you how to play this. And then you just slaughter them at the game. You just hit, you just, you obliterate them. Nine times out of ten, they're going to be like, yeah, I don't like that game. But if you let them win or you pull some punches, they're going to be like, oh, I love that game. So tra transcribing that or transposing that into role-playing games, how do you – how do how would you recommend getting a, a fantasy group to try something new without making them be like, oh my goodness, no. 
Um, getting them to and introducing them are kind of two different things. Ah, um, persuading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and introduction is normally the um, hardest part because you have to first convince them without them actually knowing what they're disliking. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that would normally be the hardest part. But like mentioning it and actually informing them on what it is has been my best aid. Mm. Like with MAID, um, the easiest way to get people to play made is to just walk them through character creation yeah. because character creation and Barker you know this is so much fun it's kind of like traveler character creation it really is. that <laughs> you end up liking the game you're like I really want to try this character it's really weird um, well, I, I think one thing that most people confuse with niche games you can correct me if I'm wrong Chepe is that a niche game is a lot of people think of a niche game as well I'm just going to kill different things now and take their stuff <laughs> which yeah. is what a lot of fantasy games are based on. I'm going to kill these things yep. and take their stuff. But mm-hmm. especially with niche games, that's not the goal of it. As you know, a, 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 like in the made example, very, very different goal, very, very different um, purpose, very different mindset going into it than say into a D and D game or, or even, you know, I mean, we, we think of genres as, you know, uh, like a Western, I'm going to kill people and take this stuff in a Western. <laughs> I'm going to kill people and take mm-hmm. this stuff in a post-apocalyptic world. I'm going to kill people oh. and take this stuff in space. <laughs> I'm going to kill people and take their stuff in a French maid costume. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> right, but but made in five. Right, but that wouldn't necessarily be. That would be a different kind of genre, but not necessarily a different uh, type of game. Which, I, 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 again, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but that 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 seems to be more what niche sort of games are it not it not only takes you into a different genre but also a different way of interacting with that genre i guess yeah game game yeah. mode style of play mode of play is another term for sure you could use well, that, that's, um, yeah definitely that's a big benefit of it yeah in, in my opinion because you know you're you're getting people to think outside the box D start i mean it still has a lot of the chain mail remnants yeah. inside of it you know Absolutely, like yeah. things like alignment i think are things that D, you know could get rid of and still be a great game and i personally like to get rid of it but it's never going to happen because it's a D staple so um the uh I, th- I think that maybe that it being it's starting off as more of a war game in a way a, sort of i mean it's really difficult to say that but uh has has impacted other role-playing games in the future so why why are niche games? I mean, if they if they were popular, they wouldn't be niche. So, but why are why why are they not exploding as different ways to play the same type of game? Why why are they why are pe- more people not interested in them? Um, I believe um, Wild Talents, which is a game with the one roll engine, um, described it this way. Uh, they <laughs> they have in their introduction, which uh, made me think this game is so perfect for me. It's not it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, they describe themselves as a niche within a niche within a niche in that they are tabletop role-playing games, which is a niche, superhero tabletop role-playing games, and a gritty post-World War II setting. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so they're a niche within a niche within a niche. Um, when you, The issue is that a lot of people... Uh, tabletop role-playing games is something that is condensed to a particular group. Of course, that's changing with how online play has developed, but ultimately, at the core of tabletop RPG, tabletop RPGs is a small group of people who meet on the regular, and you know they roll funny dice and they imagine worlds and mm-hmm. tell stories together. 
But the when you have um, that small of a social dynamic, it you have a limited budget of people, right? Yeah. They have if they have something that suits their needs, or if that's all they know, because there isn't a lot of communication between these groups until recently. Obviously, with the advent of the internet and online gaming, um, people didn't really have a chance to branch out for a long time. Uh, and D and D was the thing that was the first, so it's the one that built up a foundation before everything else. Yeah, and it's the thing that has become ubiquitous within our culture because it's referenced so much, and that's really the main reason uh, versus other niche games or what you would call niche games. Like Legend of the Five Rings is world-renowned, right? But some people would still consider it niche because even though it's world-renowned, it's still not as popular as D&D because it's not referenced as often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the main thing. It's because D&D itself has become mm. a trope. It's become so ubiquitous that people can attach something to it directly. It's recognizable. Yeah. Yeah. There's a language that they can speak. Learning a new game is a lot like learning a new language, and not a lot of people are willing to put that extra time to doing that. And so I get why it is, and uh, so in tandem, like, to summarize that without my huge, horrible rambling, <laughs> is that we're niche to begin with, um, everyone has a limited budget, and if people's uh, needs are met within a table, they're not going to spend more money yeah. on something, particularly if it's something that they have to learn yeah. completely out of the game. Yeah, and like you said, learn completely. It's not just reading a rule book and learning the rule book. It's change. It's changing the whole mentality. Like Alex said, you're no yeah. longer killing things and taking their stuff. Like <laughs> it, even Cthulhu mm-hmm. blew my brain yeah. when we were when we started playing that because I was like, now wait, I'm playing as someone who doesn't fight, and mm-hmm. so I had to really think about. All right, so what is the purpose of me? Mm-hmm. What is yeah. the purpose of this character if he doesn't fight? And what a stupid question to have to ask for a game that I think it should be more story centric. And mm-hmm. so that was that was a fun little out of the box thing. That was the pipeline yeah. that we, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I love that. I believe the answer to that question in Call of Cthulhu is get into trouble. <laughs> yeah, get, get, <laughs> they did that. They tried that. They did that. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I guess the one question I have is is do you think that a niche uh, game has more to do with its 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 genre, its goals, or the system it uses, or is it a mixture? I would always say it's a mixture. Um, a lot of a lot of games, um, in particular, what I call niche games, you know, they're very particular. They have a particular purpose. They serve a niche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is to achieve a certain purpose. So normally their goals and their modes of play are different from D&D, mm-hmm. because obviously if you're playing a game like Traveler, which I guess some would consider an each game, even though it's old school, it's like, what, the second or third role-playing game to yeah, ever it's, exist? It's, yeah. um, wow. Which is still weird that something that old and is going into its seventh edition is still considered niche. Yeah. Um, but it's... You, you can't just kill things and take their stuff as easily in Traveler because it directly punishes you because your stats or your health mm-hmm. right. <laughs> in that game uh, to not do that kind of thing. Well, I, I guess when I think of niche, I think of things like uh, like Fiasco, which is definitely yeah. kind of yeah. way on the fringe of, of what most people think of with role-playing games, at least, you know, the stereotypical role-playing game. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Also, something like, uh, uh, like Dread. Is another one, which yeah. which which is very you know a very tangible mechanic of the of the dread tower uh, to play it. So uh, again, a very 
very sort of different um, a different mechanic that influences the the mood of the game and it's and it's definitely more mm -hmm. uh, more story driven more character driven more oh, yeah. um, uh, more genre driven than say D&D mm -hmm. that's yes. absolutely favorite one shot game I've never I mean I've, I've played one game of Fiasco I, I felt like it wasn't a real like good taste of what Fiasco was and I'd love to play no it again. I know. that that was not a good taste I mean yeah. me, me and Posey being each other's like alternate personality in the same body probably not the best decision I've ever well, I, made I think some of these games particularly ones like like Fiasco and Dread um, really have to be played mm -hmm. in person it's it's one of those things where it's a, a more personal interaction yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, there's no, there's, I, I really haven't found any way to replicate the the uh, the tent that the uh, the intensity of the dread tower online. Yeah. You know, it it, it just doesn't <laughs> oh. come across as well. And in Fiasco, you really, uh, you know, you're playing off of someone's not just what they're saying, but their body language and their, um, I don't know, it, it, it's a more direct connection than it is uh, than you can get kind of through a, a Google Hangout or Skype or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, but Dread is my favorite one-shot mm. game system ever. It's, it's I, awesome, yeah. It's just the best. I, I think it's the it, best. It, it does have a fatal flaw, though. What is that? If everyone is really good at Jenga, then the effect <laughs> diminishes incredibly. But if everyone sucks at Jenga, then it's the most intense experience of your life. Hey, let me tell you, though. Let me tell you, is, you know, there are two ways that I solved this, because I didn't realize that my entire gaming group were Jenga masters <laughs> until I ran this game. And I was like, man, I should have started it with, like, 20 blocks missing, right? <laughs> but they... Uh, um, number, the first thing I did was, you know, there was a big climactic thing that would happen when the tower fell and I told them hey if you want to feel free to knock the tower over on purpose if you want and so that that happened the second thing is you know if you if you're playing this sort of game tell one of your players hey you're the plant you know at this point when it's time you feel free to just knock that tower yeah. over and kill your friend and and uh, so there are ways to get around that but you're absolutely right that is the biggest flaw it may be the only flaw in Dread is that if everybody is like <laughs> yeah. world championship Jenga quality, there's the, nothing happens. <laughs> well, I guess, it, well, it, it can still be tense. It just takes more time, <laughs> yeah. you know, to get to the point where they're just single blocks stacked up to nearly the ceiling. Yeah. I think the rules you can play say, you know if you have you know you take the number of players you have and multiply that by four or something and remove that many blocks at the beginning of the game yeah. to make yeah. it harder. Gotcha. I don't know, yeah. Do, do any of you, do you allow them to do, like, um, Ghetto Django, where you're stacking basically vertically as well? Um, and you're allowed to balance them in any way possible? No, I've not. I, I, the one Ooh, thing I did cool. to try to make it more exciting was I gave them a timer. I said, you need to remove, like, two blocks in five seconds. Ah, that, that would be cool. Yeah. If you have, uh, that's what we used to do to try to... Because we had the same problem, mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so we just stacked it vertically, and you have like these 
the best way to describe it is if Stonehenge was like made by hobgoblins, <laughs> right? And it's just this completely amorphous blob of a tall building. I have no idea how it got like two people high, but it was. <laughs> and things get really intense. Yeah. Well, point. then again, you could always just get a motorized lazy Susan that just keep, that where it's constantly turning no matter what, and so you have to put in a while. That's amazing. Oh, that's an amazing idea. And dim the lights, too, right, right. so it's hard to see. Put, like, a fog machine. That's awesome. And do pyrotechnics do behind all the players. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> you'll, you'll give all your players, like, post-traumatic stress hey, Barker, disorder from this, playing one of your games. This was a little more intense than I was planning on, man. I just want to play a friendly game. Can, can, we, can we go back to D&D? <laughs> That's the example okay. of a wrong way to teach right, a right. niche game. <laughs> yes, that that is that is not a good idea. Um, I like the idea that's of advanced. it being on. Yeah, I like the idea of it that's being advanced. on one side of a lazy Susan, though. Yeah, where you know draw, and then you have to turn the lazy Susan to the next person or something, and make that thing freaking wobbly. <laughs> it's, like it's a busted lazy Susan. <laughs> so, so what is the most niche game? No, I'm going to change that question. What is the most fun you've had playing in a niche game? We'll start with Alex. And it, oh, um, I haven't really played in a lot of like hardcore niche games, I'd say. But let me think. Um, Alex, you know, it's it's always tough because Alex has to siphon through like 30 years of history <laughs> of role playing games, like. Going through every single Friday oh, that he's ever been alive. <laughs> and a lot of weekends. Uh, I wasn't always uh, an adult. No, um, uh, let me think. I guess uh, I played a, uh, 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 it, it was kind of a homemade role-playing game uh, that a friend of mine had put together. He had been uh, gaming longer than I had. Uh, and because he started out in, uh, what do you call it, uh, Oh, in war gaming, and you know, mm-hmm. he was one of the first ones to sort of come over and 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 uh, and, and start playing. And he had, and he had put together a his own sort of role playing system, and and that was really interesting because it was my, it was my first experience <clears throat> going with a diceless system, and mm-hmm. it was a uh, uh, it was a horror genre, and it uh, uh, he used uh, cards for. For his randomization, but it, but it tied into the storyline, you know, with with um, you know, kind of like tarot cards, where each one had a had a, a significant meaning behind it. So it wasn't just pulling a number; oh. it was pulling uh, kind of a destiny sort of thing. And that was um, that was eye opening to me because before that, I hadn't you know played anything but D and D, and so it was a very different uh, different experience. So that was probably. Um, uh, probably the most intense because it was, it was the first time playing something different. Yeah. What about you, Chepe? The problem with me is I'm the one who runs that kind of stuff, <laughs> and I very rarely get to play. <laughs> it's that it's that same issue. Um, you know, I work hard, and eventually people get interested in playing it, mm-hmm. but very few people are interested in running it for me. <laughs> but um, I remember. Are you familiar with the D6 system? Yeah. Like, just the basic, like, D6 Fantasy, D6 mm-hmm. Space? Did, like, a round-robin version of that, except we included the wager idea from, um, what was it, Houses of the Blooded? 
Hmm. And uh, we did a game, uh, and because it was round robin, so I count it as me actually playing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that'll count. Uh, and we did a community, like wizarding community college. Oh wow! And all of our <laughs> dice rolls were spells, and we have to use our spells pretty much for everything. And it was, we made it so that it's a party game where everyone wrote down their own effects, but then everyone else wrote down the conditions and the rituals you had to do in order to do your spell. For example, one person was fire, but they had to pull down their pants and step in two buckets of water in order to cast fire. And, like, there's a lot of weird things. Like, my character's most powerful spell was that he had to eat a bottle cap, and then he could turn soda cans into these little spider things as a familiar, and he sick them on people. That was a lot of fun, because it was just silly. Um, I don't get to play that often. I could say different games I've played, but really, um, most of the time they've been pretty okay. Yeah. I think I had some fun playing Eclipse Phase. Um... Traveler, Traveler was a lot of fun. I love Traveler. See, I never viewed Traveler as niche, and and you say that it. I don't. It, I don't. It shouldn't be. Yeah. I was just like, I'm saying, is it? Are we talking like normal consensus, like point. as a whole yeah. of a culture? Or are we talking like someone who's been introduced to multiple yeah, games? That's a good point. Yeah, I think it's. It, after a while, you know, there there are far more obviously for obvious reasons. There are far more niche games than there are non. Yeah. Because just mm -hmm. because there's so much more outside the box than there is inside of it, um, mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I think our listeners would probably want to know is, you know, if because most of most people are running, you know, your basic fantasy game. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you add something niche to it? Not like a niche system or anything. How do you make it seem or feel more niche without getting rid of the original purpose of running that? you know, low to mid fantasy, maybe even high fantasy game. Like how do you mix other genres yeah, how do you, or how do you mix a different mode of play? How do you, cause those are two different yeah, things. I would, I would say how to, well, let's start with how to mix other genres. How do you, how do you mix another genre in fantasy? What are good genres to mix in fantasy without making it seem stupid? Um, what I normally do is I just build a new world around those genres. Mm -hmm. Um, because that way I can make the internal consistency there, or I'll find a world. For example, if I wanted to com commit, you know, do the kill things and take their stuff, <laughs> like during Surrealism Month on the channel, I ran an Alice in Wonderland <clears throat> D&D one-shot, right? Okay. That way I could combine dream fiction and surrealism with normal D&D. And it worked out beautifully, um, simply because the setting allows kind of for both, because it had, you know, card men and different things like that that are naturally inclined for warfare. And so you can kind of take that and have the cartoony dungeon crawl kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And then I could also put in some surreal horror elements mixed in it. So basically the dungeons were dreamscapes inside of different characters from Alice in Wonderland's minds. Uh, and so they basically entered the minds of different characters in order to get through them because some of them were tainted. It's like Alice in Wonderland was being infested by this black Lovecraftian ooze uh, that was corrupting everything and causing people to kill each other. Oh. Awesome. Um, so finding the right setting is normally my answer. For example, when I was doing science fantasy with D&D, um, um, basically I used the oddity chart from Numenera's, and we just put that stuff together, and I just... <laughs> I don't really know how I made that setting. That was like a 20-minute setting. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it. Oh, go ahead. It's finding where the two things overlap, yeah. and then yeah. just build a world around that. That's um, cool. Like killing, like D and D, taking and killing their stuff. Right. I ran a mini campaign called Iceland that was post-apocalyptic steampunk um, Egyptian, and making um, the ruined city state of a global empire based off of um, Aten, because, you know, Aten took over it temporarily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they tore all the other gods down, and then eventually they were left in ruins. So that kind of fit the idea of having the capital city, Iceland, just left to ruin, leaving a bunch of gangs and stuff to take over. And so we did a little mini-campaign within that city. What did that look like? Egyptian, steampunk, and the first thing you said. Egyptian post-apocalyptic that steampunk. One, yeah. <laughs> what did that? I mean, what did that look? What, what did that look like? What did that feel like as a setting? What did that feel like? Um, imagine a Egyptian-style temple, right, mm-hmm. in the middle of the city. Okay. Outside of that, um, the garb is pretty normal. It's collapsed buildings, normal stuff like colonial-style buildings, but they've all fallen in on themselves, kind of like a Western town in the middle of a desert of long standing. So, nice. you know, the desert and the sand of the Western kind of fit the post-apocalyptic landscape and the Egyptian motif. So I put that together. Cool. Um, the Everything had small Egyptian memorabilia on it. You know, you had the life sign. You had um, different references to Ma'at, which is the Egyptian concept of wholeness, of being in tune with the cosmic order of the universe. Cool. Um, different gangs worship Ma'at in different ways. Um, there are remnant clerics of Aten that are spread throughout the city. Mm-hmm. And then the steampunk is still everywhere, like the remnant technology, the airships, the um, steampunk clockwork automatons that roam the city that used to be a part of the security force that the, mm-hmm. basically the pharaoh was using to enforce the citizens with the law-keeping. Nice. So it's just finding what fits together like what overlaps and then just making your home your whole theme your home motif and atmosphere off of it and it felt very mad maxish which is always easy because <laughs> mad max is, is just killing things and taking your stuff <laughs> um but it, it it was a fun time it was a good little that sounds awesome four. that yeah that sounds cool and I, I like that idea find where they overlap and build on that mm-hmm. because and mm-hmm. you'll be doing two things there number one you're going to be you know creating your new setting right but the second thing is you are you're doing such a good job by doing that you're doing a good job of showing your players and not telling them but showing your players what it feels like to live in this place exactly Uh, i love that and i want to play in that setting now Uh, (laughs) i want i would love to run that again so because that was fun that was that was a really fun setting and nobody fought the gun dragon and i'm very sad that nobody fought the gun the gun dragon Yes. The gun is that dragon. like there's red dragons, there's green dragons, and there's gun dragons? Yeah. Well, dragons went extinct during the post-apocalypse. Yeah. But the gun dragon survived because it was basically a steampunk automaton made in dragon form for <laughs> entertainment purposes, but it went awry. Nice. And I want people to fight the gun dragon. That sounds like an <laughs> Axe Cop sequel or something. Yes. Exactly. Gun dragon. <laughs> gun dragon. <laughs> Oh, man. Gun Dragon, enter the Matrix. <laughs> Come into theaters near you. Enter the boom. Enter the boom. You know, as, as we're talking about it, it occurs to me that I, I guess I think more, uh, and, and, and I'm not saying I'm right, I'm just, I, I think more of niche games based on the mechanics than the genre. Mm-hmm. 
because I've played a lot of different genres. Like I've played, um, you know, pulp. I've played, um, you know, noir. I've played um, steampunk a little bit. Uh, post-apocalyptic fantasy. Quite, a, you know, just you know, obviously fantasy, horror, and none of them ever really felt like, I guess, niche games to me. I'm not sure why. Okay. But like when I think of a niche game, I think of something that has a really unique uh, mechanic to it that encourages mm-hmm. a different sort of play. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't I if that exactly makes sense. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean, especially something that's thematic to its particular yeah. setting. Like that's that's the main reason why I like niche mm-hmm. games so much is that, um, like a proper indie game is normally made toward a specific thing. I know SimLG also shares this kind of mentality like i love it when i can just pick up a book and the system itself just reinforces the logic of the genre and the setting that it does yeah it's its own experience and i don't have to put out the extra effort to make it that experience as a gm or a player Mm -hmm. i can just let the system do its job and just be a part of everything um and that's the main difference like uh the reason why that would be alex is because people um like rpgers and, you know, as a culture in general, right, we like to use a word to death. <laughs> like, the word love doesn't mean what it should right, mean. Yeah. Um, the word power gamer has been used in so many different ways, it's almost meaningless at this yeah. point. Because it's been used to mean everything that someone doesn't like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's almost like the word emo. Yes, it's become the word emo, right, in RPGs. It's like, if you hate it, and it's peop- emo. <laughs> if you hate it, right. it's, it's friggin' power They gamer. did the same with... They did the same with the word immersion. They did the same with the word um, indie. Uh, yeah. And like, so niche, you know, you could say it's a particular mechanic that creates a new style mm-hmm. of play that doesn't, didn't exist before or to serve a particular mm-hmm. purpose. You could also say niche genres. So you could be talking about two or three different things if you use the yeah. word niche or indie or something like that. Uh, for If you want to talk about mechanics, I could tell you about a few interesting ones. Um, some of my favorites are like the age pass core mechanic. Mm-hmm which is uh, the Elegant 10. You roll a bunch of D10, and you can hold your dice in your pool. And if you hold your pool, that's a plus one to your overall score. And when you roll, you take the highest number. So if it's 10, you take a 10. If it's a 9, you take a 9. And then you add your bonuses. And if you get a 10, every additional 10 in your pool gives you a plus two. So it's a risk-reward mechanic. If you want to hold three from your pool, you can get a guaranteed plus three to get over that bump. Cool. But you're less like you're increasing your chances of failing dramatically because you could get a critical failure, huh. and and also reducing your chances of getting more tens, which would give you the overall greater goal. The word niche itself it kind of bothers me, and the reason why is because niche mm-hmm. means a, it it's like a it a small place, right? It means mm-hmm. it's a small port. Whether it's you know a, a niche in the in the wall, a small hole, it means a small portion of the market and other things that this Google definition thing that I'm looking at says, uh, <laughs> basically just in a small place, but we're finding out that, you know, niche games like D and D regular fantasy, that's the small place. We're just all in it. Mm. Yeah. It, you know, so, and there's no good antonyms for niche either. Like there's no, there's no opposite. There's solid closure. No, that's not an ant, whatever. But the best one with how we use it is probably ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. Ah, ubiquitous. 
but the, but the um, ubiquity system, the gaming system, they already got that. Is yeah, ubiquity is yeah. considered niche by many. Which the ubiquity system is a pretty straightforward system. In all honesty, it's just a success plus maybe modifier. Yeah, it, it has some similarities to uh, uh, what was it the uh, World of Darkness? Yeah, that's what we use for pipeline. Yeah, yeah, we use it for pipeline. See, okay, so I think if you're listening and you want to do some niche stuff with your group, and and based Alex, you mentioned that mechanics are niche to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I might even introduce that first. So, play with your D and D group, but say, hey, this one session we're doing something different. We're not rolling dice. Instead, we're going to just describe what happens, what our characters do. We're going to describe how our characters get hit, if they get hit. You know, if we're going to go to attack the goblin, we're not going to roll for it. We're going to describe that our character is doing that, and we're going to describe whether we hit the goblin, what what happens to the goblin, and that's all mm-hmm. we're going to do for this entire session. Yeah. And a lot of gaming groups immediately are going to be like, uh, that sounds dumb, right? Yeah, well, maybe not a lot, but some that are more mechanically oriented. But I think that's a good way to just really introduce something else to, to the idea that there are other things to your group. <laughs> a completely narrative game. I suppose. I, I suppose another uh, another definition for a niche in in this context would be uh, whatever it is you you haven't played <laughs> a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> you know. If well, you it, yeah. if, if if all someone has played is is something like fiasco that's all they've played that that was their first introduction to role playing and then someone introduces this dungeons and dragons to them they're like whoa what's this you roll a die how, how does that work you know and it's a strange thing to them so i mean that's your niche is D. yeah is chepe there you go yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll go with that but you know what i'm saying it i think yeah. i think maybe yeah. maybe maybe one of the takeaway things is Absolutely. get out and play yeah. different games Play, th- play games that have yeah, different much. systems, that different <laughs> goals. Don't just stick with the same stuff because, yeah, maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, but you'll get a different experience. Yeah, like what's mm-hmm. the worst that can I, happen? Yeah. You not like something and you go back to what yeah. you like and you appreciate That's it right. more? Yeah. I mean, boom. Yeah, it's win-win. Boom. Boom shakalaka. Pretty much. I mean, I, if you want a list of games, I could start... Well, Definitely. actually, one of the Someone... questions in the in the Facebook group is what systems lend themselves best to homebrewing a niche genre RPG. So, uh, you know what? I got a timer here. Chepe, you've got 20 seconds. Go nuts. Boom. Um, Fate is good for anything if you want to give it a noir bend or if you want to basically make the movie version of any setting. Here, here. Um, it's also free, so that's pretty easy. If you want something that's uh, space opery, you can go Traveler. You could go um, Stars Without Number. You can even go Eclipse Phase, which Eclipse Phase has a really good system for operation style. So if you want to do any kind of strange or weird cyberpunk kind of system, Eclipse Phase is really good. Also, it is incredibly niche setting because it is transhuman space times 20. If you don't know what transhumanism is, you can go for it. If you want anything that uh, is particular in science fiction, I would honestly recommend GURPS because GURPS gives you a very strong degree of logic. Like if I were to run a basic, um, say, Obsidian Punk or... Um, primal punk or perhaps a biopunks game i would probably run it in gurps um rain incridian is good if you want to add different flavors of fantasy especially ones that are a bit more intrigue based for example i'm doing a um, arcane punk western pseudo renaissance post-utopian fantasy and i'm trying to convert that to the rain system um (laughs) if yes i have a lot of words i know that's that's why i'll just love um (laughs) <laughs> I have a lot of creative expressions for genres. 
So those are so groups, fate, uh, one roll engine. Uh, let's see. Those are all really good ones if you just want generic systems for converting into niche yeah. genres. And if you like like Tarantino movies, like Reservoir Dogs, things like that, uh, Fiasco I think was based on those types of yeah. films. So if if you want to do a one shot in that, it's easy to do with yeah. Fiasco. Mm-hmm. Fiasco is a little hard to do a campaign of. Yep. Right. Because <clears throat> characters end up dying <laughs> a lot or worse. <laughs> yeah. A lot. <laughs> so. Uh, if, if for the listeners, if that seemed like more than twenty seconds, it's because roll up and die transcends space and time. And uh, mm-hmm. oh, cipher system, cipher system is really good for that. By the way, which one is cipher system? Cipher system is, is put out by Monikut Games. Yeah, it's the same system. Yeah. Uh, they put out a generic version of the Numenera yes. and the Strange, okay. and has all of the options and some different rules for different kinds of genres. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And you'll still have the cipher experience. So. All campaigns are ultimately going to run around, uh, blah, are all about dealing with different things and collecting MacGuffins, ultimately, because it, it is the cipher system, so there's ciphers. But it's a really easy, really easy system to apply to different genres. I ran a black exploitation cyberpunk game in it. It's pretty funny. Nice. Awesome. So, you guys want to take a question from the listeners? I would like that. Yes. <clears throat> all right, cool. So, uh, Joseph B has two likes. And he writes, uh, see, Matt's not here, and fewer people comment on the freaking – it's Matt. <laughs> you can go up to go to our Facebook page at uh, Roll Up and Die. It's facebook.com slash Roll Up and Die, or just search for Roll Up and Die on Facebook. Um, and uh, every week we post a question that we're going to be talking about. And if yours gets the most likes, then we answer it. Uh and it actually looks like we've been answering a lot of these questions anyway, so that's yeah, good. that's usually the case. Yep. Uh, so Joseph B writes: When running games in genres less trodden, that's funny that you say the word trodden because we're speaking ha, with ha, untrodden. Ha, I'm not kidding. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh come on! When running games in genres less trodden by most systems, do you find that it's preferable to use a generic system and adopt it as necessary? Or do you specifically seek out and learn new games each time? So I guess he's asking, like, should I find, like, three different games to run my, you know, three different superhero-type games to, to figure out what I like? Or should I run, should I start by using Fate superheroes? Yes. Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> I do both. My Like, some people are more or less different it depends on how big you are at having your mechanics thematic right Mm -hmm. if you want the system to do some of the work for you or if you're more confident as a gm that you can create that feel without it then so if you're confident that as a gm and you're willing to put out the extra work to create the atmosphere yourself i would recommend doing a generic system first because you can ultimately save money if you have less time and you have a particular group that can pick up on things a little bit more naturally and you don't you want it to be more organic, then sometimes it is worth looking for those extra systems. Mm. Um, something like, um, let me think real quick. Esoterists mm-hmm. is very nice if you're looking for an X-Files style game. Um, also, Tremulous would be a, 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 mm, yeah. another great example of an X-Files style game that's really fun to play as well. Um, so if you wanted to make an X-Files game in something like GURPS, you could. It might be a little bit more or less work. Um, esoterists and tremulous it can be anywhere from like 16 to 30 bucks pop it up read the book introduce your 
group to the system, which is fairly simple, and you can get going a lot faster, depending. So it just depends on how prep-heavy you naturally are as a GM and how much money you're willing to spend. Because one will cost you a bit more money, but will save you a lot more time and energy. Another will save you a bit of money, but will cost you a lot yeah. more time and energy. So if, you're, if you have the time and the energy, generic. If you are more particular and you have less time, it will probably be worth it to search out particular systems. Like, I love Mythic India, but I have no recollection of it, which is why I've been dying to buy, but I don't have an in-person group right now, so I can't because it's card-based uh. um, against the Dark Yogi. Mm. And <laughs> I really want that game because that game nails Mythic India, and I really want that. Um, or if you want Mythic China, but you need a game that will introduce you and your players to it, a really good game is Chin the Warring States. Mm. Um, which, again, you could consider that a very niche game because it's a very specific thing. It's a Wuxia, Warring Stage, China that they're emulating. Um, there's a few steampunk games that are like that as well. So awesome. if you're not like an expert in the genre and you ha don't have all the time in the world and you're willing to put out a little bit of money, I would search for the games. If not, and you are that you know Mad Hatter GM, you'll do all the research, all the work yourself, just go with the generic. Sweet. So. And if you have room on your book bookshelf, and you've yes. got the money to do it, buy the book. Yeah, big time. Uh, Alex, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I was thinking, uh, although it made me think of, of card-based games, and I wanted to uh, uh, to drop a mention of a um, uh, new Mark Reinhagen game called I Am Zombie, if no one has, uh, has, has seen that yet. Yes. Uh, and picked it up. Yep. I, I, uh, I really like the mechanic of it, the idea that you draw cards to create your characters and you can be up and running in almost no time it uses a really simple dice mechanic and it uses uh, 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 chips for for various things as well so it's a uh, it's, it's he's really thinking outside the box with some of this and uh, I'm also plugging it because I am uh, uh, on one of the cards so awesome <laughs> is it, is it um, did he get inspiration from Deadlands by any chance? Because when you say like cards and chips, no, 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 it just I, I makes me think of Deadlands. No, no, I don't think so. It's basically each card is uh, kind of a character archetype, or at least a portion of one. And uh, when you, you you draw a certain number of cards, and then you sort of look at these cards, and by putting them in a certain order, you sort of create the personality of of your character. Nice. And uh, yeah. And uh, uh, like I said, I'm I'm cool. So it's, I'm actually on one of the cards, so it was very exciting. <laughs> so su support Alex's modeling career by going to buy <laughs> I Am Zombie. As awesome. humble as it is, but no, it, it is an awesome game. And even if it wasn't on it, I would I would uh, I would recommend it. Because particularly because, like I said, I like the 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 uh, the very new sort of um, idea behind it. It's it's pretty brilliant. Would you do? Would you say you like the niche sort of idea? I do. It? I also like the I also like the genre because it, it's it's uh, it's very like nineteen seventies grindhouse uh, feel to it. Yeah, uh, and, and, with, but with zombies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I'm I'm a big fan of the the grindhouse genre anyway. So uh, you throw zombies in there, which I'm also a huge fan of, and you know I'm sold. So. Nice. Intelligent zombies, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, yeah, right? Exactly. You're playing you're playing so intelligent zombies. Um, and it's felt very World of Darkness, but its mechanics actually reinforced what it was talking yeah. about. Yeah, awesome. So uh, there's going to be a lot of die, die rolling in our idea that we can oh, yeah. steal or you can steal tonight. You got 
Yep, he's gonna get the dice. Do you have that? Oh wait, we're we're actually doing that. Yeah, we're okay. Doing it. <laughs> I, oh and, man, and I, and I, I pull out the Crown Royal bag that I've had for close to thirty years. Here. <laughs> I am both flattered and I am very scared for both of you. <laughs> so, uh, Chepe Lefepe has created a niche generator. Now, an, I said a niche generator. Okay, it's a niche generator. <laughs> And uh, he has informed me. The niche generator. Yeah, generator. He he has informed me that it is 1.0. This is first edition, and so we might come up with things that are totally esoteric and totally ridiculous. But I don't think we should let that stop us. <laughs> so I think that's kind of the point. Yeah, exactly. Like it, like it, it's supposed to give you things that you would never think of, and it certainly does that. Yeah. Um, I can guarantee that in spades, <laughs> except one time. There was one time someone did it, and it was like generic high fantasy <laughs> stuff but that was like one in a million so normally i would say 70 percent of the time it gives you really weird stuff but sometimes incoherent i'll make i'll have alex link this well if that's okay with you chepe we'll link we'll link some we might link something in the show notes for you sure. to click on i mean i i put it on the blog so that people could use awesome. it. awesome I'm, I'm sure we can do something sweet so uh I'll, i'm gonna go ahead and go first if that's okay just to make sure i know how this works the first thing I need to do is roll on the variations chart. So this is this is kind of like a, what do you call it? It's like um, an, ad-lib. an ad lib, you know, like noun, adjective, verb, things like that. So I am going to <laughs> oh, all right, I rolled a six. <laughs> right. oh, no. That means you have object, object, and object. I, Compose a visual style world with technology level of time period and with the central organization defined by its blank ideal like tendencies. Okay, cool. So. Um, I'm going to roll... Let, all right, let's all roll three objects. And I'm totally going to edit a little bit of this in post. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 I would not blame it's you. Not, it's not. It's awesome. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, the object chart is a percentile. It is, yep, D100. So I'm going to roll mine. I got a metallic locket. What did you guys get? Oh, we're going to do all of ours? Yep. Okay, so we're doing it together. Yeah, just... Just objects. Oh. Oh, well, at least you didn't get the trauma table. That one's very depressing. Um, <laughs> precious metal covered land. Wait, 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 wait. That's not object. That's landscapes. Wait, what's here we go. What's objects. Objects here. It's at the bottom. Oh. Okay. Knotted length of string. Okay. Uh, so, uh, did I say metallic locket? Yes, metallic locket. A knotted length of string. All right. Um, okay. Uh, a soundless flute. All right. A soundless flute. And now, uh, a visual style. So, visual style is a D hundred. So I'm going to roll the visual style. So I got a 76, which is an 8-bit slash 16-bit slash chiptune pixel. Does that mean I choose it? Yes. I'm going to choose 8-bit. All right. And then okay. next, I'm taking, I'm writing this down so I don't forget. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and next is time period and then ideal. So uh, okay. time period. Time period is a D20. Awesome. And I got Colonial. Nice. Colonial. <laughs> 8-bit Colonial. <laughs> <laughs> and then the final thing I'm going to roll is an Ideal. 
which yeah, I gotta find it. I love this. I just love it. How long did it take you to write all these words? Three weeks. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> With help from two or three different people. Shoutouts to them. Nice. Um, Go ahead and do that while I find the ideal chart. All right. Shoutouts to Hollow Wonder and uh, Zephyr's Gambit for the help. Awesome. In, in the niche generator. As well as Ben. Uh, wherever Ben roams. Whatever he may roam. Hedonist. Hedonist. <laughs> All right, this is beautiful. So I'm going to read my full uh, niche genre ad lib. All right. And I have uh, metallic locket, knotted length of string, a knotted wait, a metallic locket, a knotted length of string, and a soundless flute compose an eight-bit world with a technology level of uh, colonial, colonial times, and with a central organization defined by its hedonist-like tendencies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I could tell you the image that came in my I mind. I want you to you do want. that. I so yeah. want you to do that. <laughs> All right. So so we have a locket, a, what was it, a string, uh -huh. and a soundless flute. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that I had is basically that this is a world that was composed by a programmer, and he was a typical nerd renaissance fair and all that stuff, and his wife or his kids like had an issue in an accident and so he poured himself into this program mm -hmm. and before he died like he supernaturally imposed part of his sentience part of his soul into it and he died while programming and so the little bits of him embedded in these objects that are of personal value to him such as the string the locket of his wife and um what was the third one? A soundless flute. And a soundless flute. And a flute. Yeah. Probably something his child played or embedded throughout the world. Okay, well, it's 8-bit. Mm -hmm. But they don't know that. So it's this cartoony um, fantasy world that was brought up. It has you know, a colonial-style level of technology or just colonial level of world where strange things happen, like the Matrix. Um, just randomly, you know, they pop in and out. Um, people can teleport randomly, different things, glitches within the programming. They don't realize that they're in a programmed world. Mm -hmm. And so the campaign or whatever it would be is dealing with the central um, government that has mastered these glitches and has kind of started reading the programming or basically reading the stars, as they call it, and started taking advantage of these glitches happening and basically used these anomalous events similar to magic um, like say something teleports from one space to another all the time. Uh -huh. They built a storage facility around it so they can shift things halfway across the continent faster than others. And they abuse these uh, glitches in the programming often to create abilities such as high jumping similar to like Neo. Mm -hmm. And so in order to basically stop this from happening because the more that they use it, the more the programming is coming undone. The players have to now navigate this entire colonial world, which they just think is a colonial world gather up these different objects embedded with the memories of their creator effectively that's and then awesome. realize the true nature of their existence <laughs> dude nice. all right alex it's your turn i'm i love this and i have my dice ready i'll help you roll it oh I, i'm starting from scratch still yeah do you want mm -hmm. oh you okay want yeah to. yeah sure yeah that's fine i like the uh, idea of us doing it and then yeah, Chepe yeah. tells us what that is <laughs> I, i'm fine yeah Okay, so three, uh, a series of uh, a series of visual style landscapes, with some time period uh, specific city and other time period specific city. 
that many citizens struggle with repercussions of trauma. Okay, it's a little hard to read like that, but I'll just roll a visual style. Okay. I'll roll, <laughs> the, I'll roll the landscape if you want me to. Sure. They're both D100s? Yeah. 83. So, uh, sketchbook. Think Da Vinci. A sketchbook, sketchbook, and I got eight on landscapes, which is uh, of a, a forest settlement. So, what does that say? A sketchbook forest settlement. Yep. And then um, uh, time period. So that's a D20, which is, I ended up with a 12, World War One. Nice. Awesome. That's not complex at all. Um, you might want to roll that again because it comes up later. Mm-hmm. World War One does. Um, <laughs> there's, I hope there's not a second one of these. <laughs> and a specific city. Uh, okay. Which is a D20. D20 yeah. Uh, London. Perfect. Okay. Cool. And... A trauma, the, which is a D100. Okay. Got that. Um, oh, 100. <laughs> is that bad? Let me scroll down here. I think that's waste disposal. Um, waste overload. Waste overload. Uh, there is a <laughs> nether. You... Time period and specific city, both again. Okay, so... All right, so... I'll do the specific city something there. Uh, Naples. And the other time period is... uh, uh, Medieval, feudal. Okay. So this means you have a series of sketchbook, like Da Vinci-like, rather... Uh, forest settlements, with some being like World War One London, and others being like medieval Naples, that are, that has many citizens struggling with the repercussions of waste overload. Go nuts, Chepe. Okay, so the image that oh okay, so the image <laughs> I'm getting in my head right is a post-war civilization. Um, because of the remnants of the war itself, um, let's say the bullets and the gunpowder and the radioactivity um, that they were developing, mm-hmm. perhaps it started creating overgrowth in the areas, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have something that's more like post-Britain, and you had a lot of French people that moved in after World War One. You can even make this an alternate earth setting. And England is now covered with these giant um, mutated trees and different wildlife and things like that. And you have one that's like Naples because people actually moved there and started settling because they were refugees from Europe, which was almost completely destroyed during the aftermath of whatever happened during World War I. And London is sort of intact, but not really. It's still being overgrown. Um, the buildings are still there, and Parliament is a loose, more like a city council more than anything at this point. Uh, basically moved to London, and that's where the rest of the survivors of the war have come into play. So you have these giant uh, trees coming in and out of giant London monuments, and you have forest versions of all these different settlements, and so you have these different... um, Not colonial? What would you say? They're they're settlements, right? You have different groups of people, both of the French, maybe Spanish, and as well as um, London, with different levels of technology. 
with English, uh, the English themselves, bearing the most technology because they're the ones that survived the brunt of the war. They were able to keep some of the stuff, like some of the guns and stuff, underneath. And so now they've become the oppressors of this particular area. And the repercussions is the waste overload, which uh, maybe it's something that got in the water because, you know, people experimented with different materials all the time, you know, putting it in people's food, putting it in uh, different kinds of metals that were unhealthy for you if you work in factory conditions post-World War One. Mm -hmm. What if that infected people and without proper waste disposal, like literally taking sanitation, um, that's actually the thing that's causing all the plants to mutate in the first place. And so... Now England, this post-war England forest, is now trying to um, get everyone to do proper sanitation. But they're oppressing people in order to enforce this sanitation. So it's really a misnomer. You kind of, they have to do it for the purposes of keeping everyone alive. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they're also violating human rights. And so the players are now caught in a struggle where there's protests. And some of the protests are improper sanitation. And... Um, oppression from this uh, post-World War I forest apocalypse England dominator. That's awesome. <laughs> Check out Chepe's niche, niche generator. Um, uh, he did say he was working on a, a version 2. Uh, I, I can't imagine why. This has been <laughs> the coolest <laughs> uh, thing ever, and I'm printing this out. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, uh, wait, wait, where can people find you, Chepe, online, on the internet, in magazines? Not in magazines. Um, Fawn Trodden is the YouTube. Um, you can, I don't have a Facebook page or anything like that. I don't go out of my way to promote the channel or anything. I just do it for like strict community purposes to do video responses and stuff. But you can check out Fawn Trodden if you want to see, um, if you want to learn about uh, different genres like biopunk, I have mm -hmm. videos on that. I also have videos on science fantasy, on surrealism and dream fiction. And I'm just now got my camera and my microphone back and I got a video program. So hopefully I'll get back to making videos and do more like genre expansions and how to's. Um, like I think I'm the only person to ever do a video on how to construct a dreamscape in an RPG. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm so, doing yes, mine tomorrow. Very niche. Yes, niche. <laughs> Plenty of niche to go around. Um, if you want me to plug anything, I have a campaign, which is probably the most watched videos on the channel, um, The Fall of House Odenwald. Awesome. It's the closest to generic D&D I can possibly bring myself coming to. And it's Game of Thrones, but in a Wicca-like world with an Arthurian tragedy feel to it and Filipino mythology mixed into it. Awesome. Wow. So whatever that is, uh, the, I have several settings, websites like rowangate.wordpress.com, aquica.wordpress.com, which is my post-utopian, pseudo-renaissance, um, arcane punk western setting that I'm working on. Um, I have a bunch of throughtheguys.wordpress.com. So I have a bunch of WordPresses. Uh, Big Scott Diggs is my WordPress. Awesome. And you can contact me via those way. Awesome. Via that way. And, and by Excellent. the way, Fall of House Odenwald, fun to watch. I mean, at the very, you know, you might not uh, know what it is, but it's fun to watch. That's what it is. So uh, um, I, I fixed that. I shot a uh, prequel video before, and I put that in the playlist so oh, people nice. actually have, like, the information dump before going into right. it. Because it's a really heavy, like, Barker can say, it's a really heavy intrigue game. Oh, yeah. You, uh, 
and you kind of need to know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> and it's super narrative, really fun, really fun to watch the players. Um, Alex, yes. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's it. I think he did a great wrap up. I, 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 I think everybody should go check out his channel and and yeah. play more niche games. Yeah, I, you know, I'm gonna do it too. I, I think at the very least, we have opened a lot of minds today. Uh, you know, a lot of people might not have even known that you know the niche existed, uh, but it's you, it's bigger than the non niche. So, uh, if you want a thousand recommendations, go to the RPG Brigade, or go to tabletop role playing games, or go to the um, one tabletop RPG one shot group, mm-hmm. and just be like, hey, anybody you know anything about niche games? Someone will probably tag me in that thread, <laughs> and I'll probably be forced to. Yeah, I, it's happened, yeah. and I will probably give you the whole spiel awesome. if you want want me to. I, I have someone. I someone's like, I want to know about new games. I said, give me a number between one and thirty. He said thirty, so I spent the next hour giving him thirty <laughs> in the one post. <laughs> so if you want to know about different games, you can. Just hook me up on that. Uh, I'll let you know. Sweet. Well, thank you very much for joining awesome. us, Chepe. Thanks for listening, everybody, to Roll Up and Die, your uh, now niche RPG podcast. My name is Barker. <laughs> and my name is Alex, a.k.a. Captain Gothnog. And we were joined here today by Fon Trotted himself, Chepe Le Pepe. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And um, Godspeed. Blah. It's just been, so, it's, it's been a long time <laughs> since I did that. Yep. It's been a long Come time. back to us, man. Matt, for the love of God. <laughs> Matt, Matt, they tied me up. They forced me to play Traveler. They forced me to play D&D. I had to go into the Forgotten Realms, Matt. You don't know what they're doing to me, man. Save me. This show has been produced by Roll Up and Die and is copyright 2015. It is owned by all three of the primary hosts. The games, movies, and other properties mentioned in this show are the property of their respective owners. Stealing is wrong. You can find all three of the hosts on YouTube and other websites. Matt is at youtube.com slash a fistful of dice. Captain Gothnog is at youtube.com slash Captain Gothnog. And Barker is at www.beabettergamemaster.com. Listeners are free to use this show in any way, shape, or form as long as credit is provided to the Roll Up and Die podcast. Look for other releases of this show at www.beabettergamemaster.com or at facebook.com slash rollupanddie. Have a fantastic day, and as always, happy gaming.